0: To another episode of the Ag Show Podcast, I am your host, Johan, aka Doc Buck. Joining me today is a special guest, someone whom I've met. Oh gosh, maybe two, not quite. I, I doubt three years ago, but uh, Charlie McKenzie. How you doing, buddy?
1: Good. Good to catch up. Excited yeah, for this.
0: Likewise. Likewise. How are things?
1: They are really good. I think, uh, this has probably been the most productive year, uh, that I've had in the last 10. So I'm enjoying it and most of that comes down to what I'm learning and what I'm applying, uh, after I learn it and seeing the fruits of the, of our labor.
0: Yeah. Productive in just overall career productivity.
1: Yeah, I would say so. I mean, I think in terms of the the different things that I've learned uh, and that can be applied uh, across different cropping systems outside of cannabis uh, and, you know, just small business uh, or business leadership. I think those things have been uh, pretty impactful for me um, and skill sets that I'm trying to add to. So I, I for me, like I measure at least nowadays I'm measuring my uh, success with the amount of growing I do, whether that's, uh, on the farm or personally and professionally. And so I think I did a hell of a lot of growing on the farm and same, uh, personally and professionally this year. So, so far so good. Uh, well, 2022, uh, was great. 2023. Um, who knows what that's going to look like.
0: What were, what were some of the growth points for you, personal growth points in 2022? Some examples. Uh,
1: I think uh, I established some habits <clears throat> that were really, really conducive to uh, being a holistic family man and grower uh, and and leader. So <clears throat> it seems like sometimes in my past, I've seen folks that you know I considered as mentors or or um, I wanted to emulate that. Uh, Maybe the balance between work and family wasn't quite there or uh, they voiced their concerns of like, oh, you know, I wish I would have spent more time with my kids when when they were young or, you know, just these types of things. I think some of the the things that have been really important to me is uh, writing a note or uh, like recording a voice message is what I'm doing now to my two kids and my wife every morning before I leave for work Uh, and then. I get the chance to pick them up and take them to school, uh, and then go back to the farm because the farm's so close to town, uh, gives me that ability to go into work at like six and get a bunch done and then leave to go take the kids and then come back, get some more work done. So I think just habits, uh, and getting into those habits and seeing them, uh, like flourish and, and what they create and the results they bring is, is kind of an, uh, an unlock for me. So I'm doubling down on that. And I think, um, it coincides with some of the stuff we're doing as a, a company to, to get better individually, but, uh, get better overall as a team, uh, like the book club we have. So, um, yeah, man, that's, that's some of the growth in, in the past year. I love that book club. What I love even more is what you mentioned, the personalized
0: notes and, and that balance. That is something I think parents, I certainly know I've been challenged with that over the years, like, oh, I'm gung-ho. I want to succeed and oh, I just want to do this and go there and say yes to everything. At the same time, I, I don't think, I, I don't know if I ever slipped away from the family focus. Mm. There were certainly times where it was a lot of travel and just that this maybe not calling, but over the past few years, and maybe one of the silver linings to the pandemic was being afforded the opportunity to work at home. Not that I was a stranger to working at home, but being home more often. And now yeah. both of our both of our kids are remote learning and my wife's stay at home. I don't travel as much. I think that'll probably change in 2023, but it's those little moments, dude, because those little beings, they need you and yeah. they grow up really fast. And you can't just get those recitals back. You can't get those brief little conversations or tidbits of wisdom or that you are providing to your kids or that your kids are giving to you. Just 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 those special moments. You can't you can't get them back. So kudos to you.
1: Yeah, it's going to continue to be a focus. I mean, I think it's easy uh, during harvest season or peak time to to kind of uh, shut down and do nothing, but make sure the crop is taken care of. I think that's one of my resolutions for 2023. Uh, I was talking about it with someone on our team that uh, in the month of uh, late September, all of October and November before Thanksgiving, if I can continue all the habits that I've had pretty consistently um, and that I'm building now until then, uh, if I can continue it through that time where it's really, really strenuous and, and, uh, stressful, then I think that's the ultimate win because that's showing the discipline that I need to, you know, over time, see the results that I want. Yeah. And, and being present because like you, like you mentioned in your situation, you have those really
0: busy times where you're going to have to be Away, even if you're at home, you're kind of away. You're thinking, "Oh my gosh, are we getting things? Are we are we getting things harvested? How are things going?" So, when those in those times where you're you're not busy, be present. And I that's one thing I'll tell you. I check myself quite a bit. I can I'll find myself standing there listening to anyone in the household or having a conversation, and my mind starts drifting towards work. And the next thing I'm like, "Well, nope." Be present because. Are you present when in my situation, right? You're talking to somebody like you or a customer or a client, you're giving them 100% of your attention. You got to do the same thing for your family. But uh, that's good. let's back up a little bit before we get into what you're doing now. Let's just for those that don't know you and we're acquainted, but I don't know you all that well either. Let's, let's back up and who is, who is Charlie McKenzie? Where, where'd you grow up, man? Let's, talk, let's take us back to the early years.
1: Uh, so I grew up in Georgia. Uh, I spent all of my uh, time from you know time I was born until uh, I graduated college in Georgia. Uh, I spent six months of that time in college out uh, doing an internship in Colorado. But other than that, uh, born and raised in Georgia and uh, went to the University of Georgia, didn't originally want to study uh, anything related to plants necessarily more, mostly biology and, and chemistry. And that changed, um, when I took a greenhouse management course and realized that <clears throat> I could take care of plants and sell them and make money for my family. It was kind of like this full circle thing. Cause I really enjoyed taking care of plants. I'd done a lot of landscaping as a kid, uh, had my own small business, uh, mm-hmm. did a lot of, um, management and manicuring of sports fields and things like that in high school, uh, as a job. Uh, so <clears throat> I kind of had that management green thumb and from there, uh, you know, fell in love with the greenhouse business or ornamental, uh, flowers specifically, uh, the kind, you know, bedding plants that you'd buy at home Depot or Costco or, um, Lowe's places like that. So, uh, that was the, the foray into growing and what I was going to, you know, do from then on out. Uh, and since then been growing, um, I've been a technical salesperson. Uh, I've been a small business owner and now I'm a, uh, director of cultivation here in Manistee for a vertically integrated, uh, recreational and medical cannabis company.
0: So, how did you make that that transition from ornamentals to your IPM background? Because I think a lot of people know you for, for start clean, stay clean.
1: I uh, yeah, I picked I picked up start, uh, start clean, stay clean. Actually, when I was an ornamental grower, uh, from a magazine, I I want to say it was Dram when Dram was doing water uh, when they first started doing like water treatment. Um, I think Kurt Becker and I were talking about it one day. Uh, and like kind of, I was reminiscing on, I think I caught it from him, uh, back in the day, but from an IPM standpoint, like how I made that tr- transition, uh, as an ornamental grower, I was struggling with a couple different pests. One was uh two spotted spider mite, uh, down in New Mexico. It's so dry down there that when you get two spotted spider mite, um, it's difficult to contain, you know, a lot of the predators that you use don't like how dry it is in the greenhouse, especially the greenhouse we were growing in. Um, and we weren't modifying the humidity. Uh, so it, it was something that I struggled with and I needed a solution for, uh, started working with a company called BioBest. Um, like I had a technical advisor that came out and visited me in, in the desert, uh, middle of nowhere, in New Mexico. And so like, he kind of got me hooked and I, um, he held my hand the whole way through my first crop of using beneficial insects and. Uh, I was doing it on a pretty large scale to start with because we had a 20-acre greenhouse uh, down there in New Mexico that I was managing. And we transitioned in one, uh, one year from like probably 85 90% harsh pesticide use down to like 5% total pesticide use. And a lot of other uh, products were uh, biorational or, or beneficial insect uh, for controlling pests and pathogens. And uh, that transition taught me just like a crazy amount um, in a really condensed time. And I was at the same time, uh, a medical cannabis patient in New Mexico and was growing cannabis at home and struggling with different things that I was bringing home from the greenhouse, probably at that time, uh, now looking back. And so I started tooling around and I met a fella out in uh, Gallup, Gallup, New Mexico. It was called Red Barn Growers. A guy named Coy uh, had a small medical cannabis operation, one of the first in New Mexico back when they opened up. And he was struggling with a lot of different pests. And so I would drive out to Gallup after work, Uh, from where I was at in Estancia, which was like a three, three and a half hour drive, uh, and spend, you know, three or four hours with that team out there in the evening, uh, trying to teach them what I was learning. And, you know, it was as much of like, Hey, I'm a, I'm a grower. I'm a consultant in a, in a way, but like, I'm only a chapter ahead of you. It's not like I'm I'm light years ahead of you and I know all of these things. I'm a couple chapters maybe at the most ahead of you and I'm just trying to share what I'm learning in real time and give you what I can give you because, you know, I hadn't messed around with beneficial insects and cannabis at scale, but I knew how to grow commercial crops and I saw success with beneficial insects in, in the ornamentals. So that's kind of how it started with IPM services and helping others and me working in integrated pest management. And I kind of transitioned after that to, um, managing a cannabis operation that was focused on hemp, uh, you know, CBD cannabis. Uh, and that was in Colorado working for the same business that had the ornamentals down in, uh, New Mexico and in Colorado. So it was a, you know, multi-generational ornamental business that decided to get into, uh, CBD cannabis. Um, hemp, I guess, is what it was called at the time. To me, it's all the same. It's just low THC or high THC or all of the, the, the two combined in different ratios. Um, I'm glad you said that. Yeah. I've talked (laughs) to somebody before and it's like, no,
0: it's hemp. I'm like, cannabis. Let's just, uh, let's just just differentiate the T, the THC. What? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. It's all, so it's all the same that. plant.
1: Yeah. All the same plant. There's just different, you know, people have bred for different reasons and we have different outputs. Um, and I've grown a lot of different types of cannabis at this point and seen uh, a lot of, uh, similarities and a uh, few differences, but there are definitely differences. Um, and like that experience in, in starting up, that kind of helping that business grow uh, and applying commercial horticultural practices that I had learned in you know New Mexico uh, to that cannabis business in a, in the greenhouse and outdoors was was really, really fun uh, for me and taught me a lot. But at the same time, I think I was looking for something else in in terms of like okay, i've <clears throat> I've been working pretty much for. Five and a half, six years at that point. Um, probably more uh, uh, on the working too much side, not balanced enough, and so like I was looking for something different, and uh, I had the chance to join um, BioBest USA as a technical sales specialist and uh, go around the country, and eventually, you know, into Canada working with different growers in ornamentals and cannabis and leafy greens. And, um, you know, that was kind of the next part of the journey.
0: Your time at BioBest, did anything stand out at you? And like, what was the craziest thing you saw or what was the most rewarding, you know, aspect of that? Did you did you have one instance where somebody kind of had that aha moment with biologicals or
1: Oh yeah, there were there were a lot of people that became uh, believers, but bug leavers, if you will. Um, <laughs> yeah, that I it was it was cool seeing people uh, change their minds and see it work uh, in real time and at scale. Um, there were some folks down in Georgia, ornamental growers, that I turned on to to uh, uh, biologicals, and they just like um, a young girl that had that was in college at the time at university of Georgia, her dad, um, was an owner of this greenhouse business out there and she took to it like so quickly and they crushed it. Um, that, that next year with biologicals and it blew my mind how, you know, fast they took it up and, and it was, it was inspiring to see that. So it like made me double down, um, even harder on helping other people. But I would say like one of the most rewarding aspects was truly getting to see what it takes, to get those, those beneficial insects, one, like reared and created and two, uh, shipped across the world in a viable condition to get to the grower. And like, when you, when you break down what's actually happening, it's pretty fascinating that they can get them to you at the price that they get them to you. Um, like I have to walk on the other side of the fence pretty, uh, frequently and say, Hey, the cost, the cost of goods are growing. Uh, my product is, is high enough. Like I need lower pricing on beneficial insects. But from a uh, person who's been a part of a company, worked and saw the inside uh, of, of that, you know, inner working, it's, it's crazy how um, uh, intensive it is to get those insects created and then delivered um and so like i have a lot of respect for those folks that uh you know they're not it's a whole different world of growing bugs instead of growing plants so it's it's folks that grow bugs that serve people that grow plants and it's wild because it's a whole niche industry in and of itself that's trying to serve another it's it's really fascinating and i met a lot of really really brilliant people and people that i'll consider friends you know and colleagues probably for the rest of my life if i get the chance to so um i would never take that that time back it also informed me of ways that growers were not able to utilize those products effectively whether it's because of lack of education a lack of tools um, lack of training like all these different um these different pieces that they were lacking and it gave me Uh, insight on ways that I could help them further. And that's kind of where CropWalk was born. What what kind of tips would you give growers
0: considering making that switch if they're not using a biological program or things that they need to consider when making that transition and implementing it?
1: It's, it's not an all or nothing thing. And I, and I would say that so many folks are like, Oh, I, I can't do that. Cause I can't do this or can't do that. It, it's, it's replacing one piece at a time. Like never, never have I ever been, uh, like a, you need to pull the band aid off right now and change everything over because that, that's, that's a way that you lose a crop or, or financially ruin your business in that transition. And, and I don't, Other than uh, billionaires who are farming for tax breaks, I don't know anyone who can who can do that kind of thing with their operation. So to me, it's about uh, identifying um, low hanging fruit and starting to work with uh, those either pests that you can target with biologicals effectively and integrate that biological into your program that might take you tweaking some of the other things you've done in the past and used to a more um, light on beneficial insect type product, uh, not as harsh, doesn't kill as many beneficial insects when it's sprayed. Um, it becomes as much of an integrating two different modalities than it is, uh, you know, two different trains of thought, um, than it is anything else. And I, and I don't know other than people who are like, that can't, uh spray anything for any reason and i'm trying to think of a cropping situation that 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 would happen but like even for us growing cannabis uh, we use zero and uh you know proxy acid very regularly uh sanidate five we use uh oxyfos very regularly we use mil stop um you know we use sulfur uh so we've used diatomaceous earth we we use stuff that you know uh, common agricultural producers will use, even though we are producing one of the most highly regulated crops there is. So it's just about finding those, those breaks in the chain where you can start to like make a small difference. And over time it'll, it'll start to add up. And, and I think the other thing is you don't, don't think that it's going to cost you more money in the long run uh, all the time, it might cost more to begin with because it's a learning curve like there's 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 going to be some things that maybe you think you need that you don't need when you really break it down. Maybe you thought you needed 10 different parts to this this whole system. and once you do it for two or three years, you realize that there's only four parts that you really need in that system. But to start with, you probably want to hedge your bets and have more protection than less protection so you don't have crop failure or economic damage. Um, but be patient one step at a time and find someone that you can trust to guide you. I had that fella, uh, Amir, uh, oh man, uh, I almost pronounced his name wrong. Emil uh, Vanderval, I think is his last name. Um, he works up in Canada, uh, still, I think he works for, a um, I'm like a supply wholesaler now. Um, but man, did he teach me so much and gave me the confidence to, uh, try a lot of different things and feel like I wasn't going to lose the farm um, because of trying. So the, the, that would be my suggestion. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because my follow up question was was going to be okay
0: if you're if, if you're a, an operation that maybe you don't have the means to have an IP a dedicated IPM manager. How do you go about getting over that hesitation and? My thought was you know, find a reputable rep that can help walk you through that and, and teach you the tools of the trade, what, what tools you need, how to go about yep. scouting a crop and looking for it on your own as you gain that experience.
1: That's it, man. I, I think there are two different schools of thought. You can work with someone that you pay to get the, the tools and tricks and information and um, the how-to Uh, and they don't provide you the, the beneficial insects or the biological products. And that would be like your, your advisor or, or your consultant. Um, a good example of that would be Suzanne, uh, Suzanne Wainwright Evans, right? Um, she, she's awesome when it comes to helping growers learn how to use biologicals. Um, she doesn't sell biologicals. She suggests what products you might need to use. And she has like a huge Rolodex of people that she can call on when it comes to different supplies that a grower might need, one of her customers might need. So that's like a, a really good option if you want the uh, done for you or like done with you type of of service, like to really get a hold of it quick and, and get this wealth of knowledge that she has, you know, for 30 years, I think, in the industry, working with bugs, that would be one way to approach it. And I tend to lean that way because I'd rather pay to accelerate my learning and and like get as much as quickly possible as as physically possible as quickly as possible. Um, the other option is to to work with a supplier who uh, has the beneficial insects or the products and has a, a, a technical specialist or someone that has grown before and used those products that can guide you through it. Now, when you work with someone like that, if it's from one of the big uh, beneficial insect suppliers you've got to realize that that, that business is very incestuous. And so some suppliers might be selling product to another person and supply like there, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of collaboration, if you will, in that industry from the top down. And so like um, suppliers are also very competitive, which is weird. So like you might be getting a bug from one supplier that's actually reared by the other supplier. So like, They're selling the same bugs right under different brand names. Um, And so you're getting that, but they're competing with each other at the same time. So there's a lot of like, there's a lot of working through kind of the mud with finding the right supplier and the right technical specialist. If you're going to get your knowledge from one of those technical specialists, there are some fantastic technical specialists out there that work for BioBest or BioBee or Beneficial Insectory, you know, that like you can learn so much from with them coming out for one visit. Um, So if you can find that one, then you've lucked out, but that's not always the case. And I can tell you that like literally for me, the first uh, technical specialist advisor that I had, I won't name the company that they came from, uh, that came to sell me bugs and sold me a couple weeks worth of bugs and then kind of fell off the face of the earth and trying to help me <laughs> use them. Uh, and then when I had problems with the delivery and them not coming, they didn't really give a shit. So like it, like you can strike out as well. If you try to go work f- with, with a certain supplier and a certain, you know, specialist or salesperson, it might not be, uh, what you were thinking it was going to be. So you got to pick your poison and, and figure out where you stand on the DIY, you know, done with you or done for you type of service that you need.
0: Right on. And Suzanne's company, it's Bug Lady Consulting, right? If people want to yep. look up Suzanne, if, they're on, if they don't know who she is. Yeah, yeah she's great defi-
1: definitely look her up. And if you can get some of her uh, her bug pins, uh, the different beneficial insects or pests that she uh, she has for putting on your shirt, it's definitely worth it. Right on. So
0: from, so yeah, back up. So BioBest, then you, then you went to do CropWalk, your own company, right? Yep. Yep. Holy cow. I bet you have some, some lessons you learned there. What was that experience like?
1: Oh man. It it was so rewarding and so much growth in the three and a half years uh, from the time we started it to the time we sold it. I learned a lot about myself and working with business partners um things that i lacked uh, a ton of uh and needed to work on things that i'm working on now um whether that be skill sets in business or skill sets in leadership or communication um i learned a lot about growers that i like i'm i'm a grower and i'm i'm hoping to always be a grower um in some capacity but i'm just one grower and so, like, I only have certain unique contextual uh, knowledge and information based on what I've done or what I've seen or, or things I've worked in. So, getting the chance to to work with other growers and, like, tackle some of the big problems that they had in, in IPM or even, you know, towards the end, leadership, I think that was um, really, really fun for me and something that, you know, I'll never uh, look back and, uh, definitely won't regret it, but I'll always cherish it. And in, in the relationships that I made, um, with different growers that we worked with, uh, and, you know, it also gave me an angle that I look at, uh, or lens, I guess, uh, perspective that I have now that I'm using in working with other vendors, um, as a grower again, that I didn't have, and and what's interesting about it is, I think I expect more out of vendors now uh, than I did before I was a vendor because I see that there are a lot of people that claim to solve the same problems in our industry, and there really are only a few that can truly holistically solve your problems for you in each little category. And so like making sure that you're not just accepting what someone says, you know, uh, at face value um, is something that took me, you know, that experience definitely to learn because um, when growers are stuck and I've been in the, I've been in this position this year, um, it when you're stuck and you're like you're on the on the back of the ropes, you know, like up up against them and you don't know what to do, man you'll freaking try anything and you'll talk to anyone. So like being able to to look at a vendor and uh, ask the right questions about what they know, what experience they have and and how they can truly help, I think has been um, really helpful for me. In kind of shortcutting and getting to uh, what I really need in terms of tools or solutions when it comes to this operation that I'm leading out here. Right on. I, I'm
0: gonna make a note of that one because you know we do some work together. And I want to make sure that 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 I live up to those expectations and the companies I represent live up to those expectations because that's what that's what counts most is. Something you the grower and making sure that you back it up
1: yeah it's it's about like the cool thing about you johan is that uh you have a lot of information that you share but the thing that i cherish most is when you say you're gonna do something you do it and i think that that's kind of one of the things that you, you tend to see fall off in serving growers. Like everyone's talking a big game, like, oh, I'm going to get you this guide and I'm going to get you this spreadsheet tool and I'm going to get you this. And I'm, you know, as long as you do this with our product and (laughs) they, they, they're never bringing anything to the table other than you need to buy our product. And so, you know, I think good communication and having like, Something other than a sales pitch is is the first piece, and you've always had that down. So, uh, no worries. Thanks, man. Yeah, I appreciate that. It is, for me, it's connection. I
0: mean, we're all we're all people. We have our we have our goals, and and this is an I mean, this is an awesome industry. I don't care if you're going cannabis or wheat or yeah almonds or forage or tomatoes. I, it, we we are blessed to work in in agriculture, and it. Then when you break it down into the business aspect of it, it's like, yeah, it's just, how do you want to be treated? The golden rule, if you will. That's Although it, I man. guess in sales, you would say, how, how do they want to be treated? And so you got to, you got to understand that right too, because not everybody wants to be treated the same way you do. So understand it just, yeah, live up to it. and And, and at the same time, be able to be able to take that feedback. Like, dude, mm. if I ever fall short, check me on it.
1: Yep. No, oh, that's big. Yeah. And I think having the hard conversations is something that I also uh, learned from, you know, the past four and a half years experience of having a crop walk and then uh, now leading the team out here that um, and I can't remember who said it. It's, it's one of the people that I really enjoy uh, the content they create, but I, I think it was um, the success of your day uh, should be measured by the amount of hard conversations that you have. Um, because often the hard conversations are what drive us forward. And, and when, when you're talking about hard, hard conversations, it's not just hard conversations with others. <laughs> it's hard conversations with yourself, you know? So, um, I think that that, that's a, that's a big one. And I appreciate that you take that approach, on Thanks, man. Yeah, I agree. Hard conversations, check yourself.
0: Um, all right, so you made the leap from crop walk, right? You, yep. you, You made another transition, and that you've been doing something new for what just over a year now, huh?
1: Yep, yep.
0: And that is senior director of cultivation operations. Is that is that your title at at Left Coast Holdings? Yep. Cool. So before we before we train, this is a good transition too. By the way, I want to back up. I am going to kind of set this up you had mentioned earlier that you were a medical cannabis patient in New Mexico. Did you, did you, what was your mindset towards cannabis before becoming a medical patient? Was it something you had already supported or how did you make that? Like, I I think this is going to help me. And the reason why I ask is Mm because others may be having the same questions.
1: Of course. Yeah. So I think, uh, becoming a medical patient in New Mexico was the first time that I had the opportunity to use cannabis, uh, quote unquote medically. Right. Uh, if, if it was prescribed by a doctor. So when I was in, uh, college was when, you know, I first started really, uh, um, experimenting with like growing cannabis and learning what the plant looked like. Um, probably shouldn't have been doing that back in Georgia. But, you know, that was part of my my college years, understanding uh, the the green thumb had to come out. Um, You know, I had consumed cannabis uh, before that. And I would say that it wasn't something that I used consistently um, by any means until uh, later into my, uh, into my college career. And as I started to, to transition into work full time, um, and what I had found was I had injured my back in college. Uh, and it, you know, it was due to a lot of different things, the lifestyle changed from high school to college and, um, the different activities that I was doing, uh, and ended up injuring my back and, you know, the the doctors really didn't have much for me other than painkillers and muscle relaxers and, uh, steroids and, uh, anti-inflammatories and whether we want to admit it or not, uh, those things might help us for a bit, but they typically don't help long-term. And so, um, you know, I think I was on the hamster wheel for a little while with different prescription, uh, pharmaceuticals trying to like figure out what was going on with my back. And in the end, uh, the two things that really helped me were, um, cannabis because I was able to, uh, not have all these side effects and feel out of sorts, um, from the pharmaceuticals. Um, and number two was yoga. Like I, I figured out how to strengthen my, my core and my lower back, uh, through stretching and exercise. And so, uh, you know, what's cool about, what about cannabis is it, it tends to also allow me to get into a state of mind that, that allows for that kind of focus on something like yoga. So they do have some synergistic, uh, you know, uh, characteristics there. Um, I think when I became a medical patient in Colorado, uh, or in, in New Mexico first, and, and then subsequently Colorado, I think at that time it was still, coming from georgia i didn't really tell a lot of people um you know that i was a medical patient especially because i was the the general manager of a, a 20 acre greenhouse facility uh, and had you know 70 uh employees at certain parts of the year so it it wasn't like a, a, a as acceptable as it is now um and being recreational in in the different states i think it's it's changed quite a bit just in that amount of time. I mean, you know, the, a great example is like the company that I work for here in Manistee. Um, we are, we're pretty, uh, integrated into the community in the sense that, you know, we're at all of the parades. Uh, we sponsor sports teams. Uh, we do beach cleanups and highway cleanups. Uh, you like, there's a lot of participation in our community and like, we're proud that we are cannabis farmers and agriculturalists uh, you know, and, and that um, this is our, our, our lifestyle and our livelihood um, and our community supports it as well. And so like even just the time from when I was a medical patient in New Mexico to now, there's a lot of change that's gone on. And I think acceptance, I mean, a great example is, um, one of the largest, uh, fruit farmers, um, you know, apples, cherries. He also does asparagus, things like that in, in the County, uh, his son uh, who was part of, you know, that farming family is our, um, extractor and does all of the distillate and live resin extractions here, uh, in Manisty on our farm. And so like, you know, he was growing hemp for a few years and then he got into the lab and started working in the lab and then it transitioned to cannabis. And so like, you know, that's, that is the evolution of that agricultural family. And that's a, that's a five or six generation, I think, uh, agricultural family. And they are proud to say that cannabis is one of the crops that they grow. It's not the crop they grow, but it's, and, and that's the way I feel um, about myself and my career. Cannabis is the current crop and I will hopefully I'll always get a chance to grow cannabis, but I definitely foresee myself, uh, growing other crops in the future alongside cannabis. Um, and I feel like everyone should have a chance to grow as many crops as they can.
0: Yeah. Diversify your ag enterprise. Yeah. Well, that's cool, man, that you're, that you're involved in the community that way. Cause that, that's kind of the I mean, that's, that's great that, uh, and the community supports, supports that your support, I take yeah. it.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely.
0: That's one of the things that I want to accomplish with the, with the trade or the trade show with the podcast is kind of educating or having my guests educate the listeners that may not understand cannabis. It's not all reefer madness. We can go back and how uh, yeah, that came no. about and why we have this you know, not everybody that consumes cannabis is a hippie. And look, any any psychoactive compound can be abused. It does oh yeah, anything. You know, cough syrup can be abused, and so it's it's folks like yourself and others in the industry that are professionalizing it and helping others realize that it's it's not all crazy weird you know it's not bad it's not tab you take away some of that taboo you know opinions towards towards cannabis so i do want to transition into your work at left coast holdings you you, so you moved from georgia to to michigan now you're working with this company it sounds like i mean you you uh made that move what's that been like in this last year what have you learned you know now because you grow outdoors primarily right
1: yeah so we've got uh 12 acres of of outdoor crop that we grew this past year and we'll we'll do the same if not a little bit more this coming year and then we have a a 3,000 square foot greenhouse uh we're going to expand that to 6,000 square feet this coming uh season in early spring and then we've got about 800 square feet of canopy of indoor uh, cultivation uh, for flowering. And we just uh, took over uh, another building on our site and that is serving as our uh, indoor mother stock and propagation hub for the farm and for other customers. Uh, so I would say the transition has been awesome. It's been like the town we live in where, you know, I think the house, the house that we live in is, um, three quarters of a mile away from uh, Lake Michigan. Uh, we get crazy big snowstorms. There's, you know, skiing 30 minutes, uh, away from the house. So there's a lot of outdoors activities that the family's really into hiking. We've been hiking along the M22, um, we have this book that gives us a hike that we go on every Sunday. So like that, that piece of this transition is exactly what I needed. Uh, after selling the business, I needed a, like a, a reset and, and, a, and a refocus. And I think the balance that I've gotten up here has been fantastic. And when I'm at work, uh, it gives like the work that I'm doing and the team that I'm working with, give me the opportunity to really, um, express the skill sets that I have, but also grow into new ones. And I think that that's really rewarding for me. Uh, and so, you know, the the last thing I say is it's been a cold transition, it's just a lot colder up here Uh, (laughs) right now. And in the growing season, man, we had like five or six days during the growing season, uh, that were below freezing. And so, um, yeah, it was crazy. And what, what was the driving force be behind
0: predominant outdoor production? You said 12 acres, and I think you're adding, adding more. Was was it cost? What, what were the driving factors?
1: Yeah, we, we uh, have a processor on site that does uh, extraction and manufacturing. So we have some really good machinery for uh, creating THC distillate. And we also have uh, the ability to create uh, live resin. Um, so that's uh, THC and terpenes extracted from wet cannabis biomass that's frozen uh, and then extracted. Uh, so that really was the, the driving force behind uh, doing as much outdoors originally because if you want to, to feed those machines, uh, and have them constantly humming and even have a couple of shifts going per day, you're going to need, uh, a lot of, you know, input material. And so, uh, being able to get that much material and do it at that cost, uh, which is typically, uh, I would say, depending on who you are and what kind of facility you have and who you're working with as vendors, it could be anywhere from, you know, three to 15 times less expensive than growing indoors or a greenhouse. Uh, you're not going to get quite the same output uh, across all the different types of growing environments. But for us, um, we found that growing outdoors seems to be uh, the most profitable uh, given the the uh, wholesaling that we do and the kind of contracts we're fulfilling there. Uh, now, all that being said, we, we have an indoor facility that is Probably two, three months away from being licensed. Um, and and that's a a larger uh, footprint for us to produce uh, more of the premium uh, quality offering in in the the cannabis market here in Michigan. So uh, we're we're approaching it different ways. I personally love uh, outdoor cannabis growing for a few different reasons. Uh, I think that the cannabis that you grow outdoors uh, in the sun has uh, a different terpene profiles and cannabinoid profiles, making it sometimes more um, attractive and, uh, and applicable for uh, your your broader range of consumers. I know folks that won't consume indoor cannabis because typically the THC levels are so high and the uh, the intoxicating effects they get from them or medicinal effects are not what they're looking for. Whereas if they they were to ingest uh, sun-grown outdoor cannabis, Um, they, they tend to have a better experience. So uh, we went really, really heavy this past season into testing and trialing, uh, growing for uh, outdoor smokable flower. So harvesting and, you know, uh, drying it to that precise uh, water activity level, and then getting it trimmed and, and cared for in a way that can be be presented to a consumer. uh, So they can, they can smoke that flower in it, in that state Uh, and so that was an endeavor because we didn't have the dry facilities quite the way we needed them to. So we had to make do and, you know, we, we redneck, excuse me, redneck engineered or farmer fantastic, uh, quite a bit, uh, this harvest season and got it done. But, you know, I was proud of the team. We, um, hit the metrics we had set for ourselves back in January of last year, both from a yield standpoint and from a a cost of, of doing it. And I think when we talk about my main focus of 2023 is, um, helping myself and the people that are currently on our team, uh, at least 2x our productivity as individuals. So the time that we spend on the farm is that much more impactful and productive. And really what that is, is just having better habits and being more structured and disciplined throughout our day um, and having better intentions. And so we're tackling that right now. But as we look forward, a lot of our processes and uh, the different pieces of our Uh, outdoor cultivation puzzle are being, you know, kind of ripped apart and built back together so that we can, uh, lower, uh, the cost of goods, both direct costs and, and indirect costs. I mean, from an indirect standpoint, we have, we've, uh, restructured the team a little bit, knowing that, um, this past season, uh, I took on the role of both director of cultivation, but also general manager of that property uh, because we uh, lost our general manager uh, early in April. And it was our decision that we would just ride it out with the team that we had. And we realized through that experience that actually we were probably stronger without having that extra uh, link in in the chain and that we got more done. Uh, and it allowed us to elevate the other folks on the team uh, to have more responsibilities and accountabilities and and it made us stronger overall. So like, I would say, um, 2023 is, is the year of being lean as possible. And man, uh, I think anyone that's listening to this, that doesn't work in the cannabis industry at all, you're probably thinking, wait a second. I thought cannabis was where people made money. (laughs) And, uh, that, that was the case. It definitely was. And it still can be the case. And that's, that's something that I'm up on a soapbox a lot about right now, because coming from the ornamental business, um, coming from working with tobacco farmers that are transitioning into, to growing hemp, uh, and helping them get set up in Virginia and North Carolina. Uh, that was part of some of the consulting I did like these, these folks, albeit some of them are not, not as well off as they'd like to be but there are some very very wealthy ornamental grower families that have have done fantastic for themselves over the past you know however many years it is some of them are young businesses some of them are old businesses but you know Johan that the ornamental industry has been slapped around nonstop with so much change when it comes to offshore cutting production and and, you know, uh, cut flowers leaving, uh, the United States pretty much completely. Um, so like the fact of the matter is, is even in these, these businesses that have lower margins than cannabis typically had, these folks are making money and, and they're feeding their family and they're feeding others' families doing what they enjoy and love and have a passion for. And so like, I don't know for me, if 60% of the people in the cannabis industry leave, and don't come back because the money's not there. Then it's probably for the better, um, because then it leaves the folks who actually care about the crop and care about the folks who consume it, and that they're getting a quality, safe, clean product. And you know that's what I'm here for. I'm I'm definitely um, someone that does not live to work. I, I work to live. But uh, in the end, like money only goes so far. And so for me, I want to enjoy what I do and make an impact. And I feel like with the cannabis industry, there's not as many folks focused on looking at it from the perspective that I take and some of my colleagues take. And so just having that you know, point of view and driving that and inspiring other people to, to look at cannabis production as a, an agricultural soon to be commodity. Um, and that, you know, we have to focus on production efficiencies and leadership and building strong brands and sales and marketing. Um, like it's, it's not the gold rush anymore. Uh, you know, and so that's what excites me actually, because like, this is when the real players get to play the game. And so that's, that's what I'm all about, you know, going forward here in 2023. Amen to that.
0: Yeah. As it, as it scales. And I I see that with other growers that, you know, as they scale and I'm like, oh, you know what? I can't, I, I buying my inputs at the hydroponic store is not, I can't, (laughs) I can't scale that way or. Can't buy water anymore.
1: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs)
0: I I hired someone who has experience, quote unquote, experience growing, but then you got to scale and, you know, people like yourself who had that larger horticultural experience, you know how to grow at scale. And once you know the agronomy of the crop, you you can, you can pretty much be dropped in it and say, here you go. Give me the parameters in which this crop needs to grow and, and let it rip.
1: You know what the, the, the deciding factor for me is like, if I were to be in a situation like that, the, the thing, the variable that would change the success of that crop to me. And, and I would have told you shit a couple years ago, Johan, I probably would have told you, Oh, well it's, it's going to be the structure, uh, the structure, the greenhouse structure or, or. Uh, where the farm's located or it's going to be the soil type or it's going to be what media they're using or, you know, all these things that, yeah, they definitely impact a crop's quality. But I think uh, what I know now, the variable that like you can't live without and that you've got to always factor in is the team of people that are growing the plants because people grow plants and as leaders, if you want to scale cultivation, you can't grow or touch all the plants yourself. So you have to focus on growing people. And to me, if I'm constantly focused on growing myself and I'm constantly focused on how do I help these folks like reach their full potential? And even beyond that, how do I break their beliefs of what their actual potential is and show them that their potential is beyond what they ever imagined. Um, Like that is the true goal. uh, I think for folks that are going to be around in the industry here over the next five years, because like, there's going to be a consolidation in cannabis. There's going to be small players that don't make it. There's going to be small craft players that do make it, and they're going to have a niche, and that's going to be awesome. But when you talk about what growers like myself are going to have to expect, they're not going to get to expect to have a lot of opportunities where they're going to be the only ones or a couple people they're working with are running all of the entire operation. You're going to have 40, you're going to have 60, you're going to have 100, you're going to have 300 people that are taking care of those plants every day. And so I think if there's anything that I will never get enough of um, is learning how to be a better leader and uh, figuring out how to influence and inspire people to be everything they can be and more. Amen. And you
0: don't have to follow Charlie McKenzie long on LinkedIn to get a sense of that. I just, your post, I think it was just yesterday, post because it leads into your post, which was the T post award. Oh yeah. Um, You're all you're all, you're always giving credit to others and saying so and so couldn't have done it without this team member. And that that is, that's the kind of team anybody should want to work, work on. And if they don't have a team like that, again, it comes back to having that hard conversation, check yourself. Mm. So you said it leadership, cultivating people as well as plants and running lean and treating your enterprise like any other farm because once this flips because it's gonna flip eventually it's gonna legalize you don't think for one second you know like your farm friends up the road or those out there that are just kind of sitting back that have the equipment they have the capital they have the know-how they can come in and they can do it because they know how to grow plants and they know how to grow a lot of them and so i think you are on the right track my perspective is you're on the right track you've got it diversified I do want to touch on one thing. I know we scheduled for about an hour, so I'll try to, I, I don't want to run, you just, you've got an enterprise run. Um, for those that are unfamiliar with the cannabis industry, when you you, you were explaining you have the, the indoor uh, yeah. production set aside for flour and the outdoor for distillates and extracts, What is what do you mean by that? What, is, what are those what are those compounds go into? What are the okay. products that are made from those types of, of uh, materials?
1: Okay. So when you talk about, uh, distillate, uh, production, uh, distillate is made from extracting dried, uh, cannabis biomass. And so cannabis biomass can be the, the leaves and the flowers together. Sometimes it's even the stems, uh, depending on who's, uh, harvesting it and, and how they, they, um, how they harvest it and how they process that biomass. From there, it's typically extracted uh, there's a couple different ways, but we use uh, butane uh, extraction. Um, so, with the butane extraction, you are pulling the THC uh, or other cannabinoid molecules out of that material and getting it into a concentrated form that can be used in manufacturing processes. Uh, so, what you'll see with distillate. Uh, after that biomass has been, uh, um, processed and, and you have the THC or other cannabinoids extracted much like CBD, this is the same exact process for CBD hemp. Um, you're just extracting a different molecule. Uh, once it's in that concentrated form that is taken into the manufacturing setting and, uh, put into edibles, um, put into tinctures, put into lotions and, and, uh, massage oils, uh, and has many different, um, outputs. It can be, uh, used to formulate in combinations with other cannabinoids. You can add, uh, essential terpenes and oils back into that product to create some sort of, um, you know, combination. Uh, when you look at distillate, you can also put that into a a vaporizer cartridge. So if you ever come across a Uh, A vaporizer cartridge, if you've been to a legal state or you've been to a a smoke shop or somewhere, a gas station that sells CBD products, uh, you'll see a a vaporizer cartridge. Distillate um, is is put into that. Um, Live resin is extracted from wet cannabis biomass that was frozen. So we'll harvest it off the plant while it's wet. We won't even uh, dry the plant at all. Um, Sometimes we harvest it off the plant. While the rest of the plant is living so it's like a a cut and come again type of scenario uh which uh, which blows some people's mind uh when it comes to to harvesting cannabis so that is then taken put into some sort of bag sealed and then frozen with dry ice uh, flash frozen as quickly as possible and then from there it's extracted from uh in in a, another uh butane uh extraction process um, butane as the solvent. And that process tends to create, um, similar concentrated, uh, cannabinoid oil, but it also pulls along the terpenes with it. So that is a more flavorful, more fragrant type of product, uh, than your distillate product. And that is typically either put into a vaporizer cartridge, uh, put into edibles to have a more flavorful, uh, type of, uh, edible uh, or it is consumed in some sort of um, uh, other rig or consumption device are
0: you doing any beverages yet
1: yeah there's so distillate uh, is typically what is used in beverages uh, but there are folks that are doing uh, man it's it's some sort of nanotechnology where they're taking they're taking the distillate and it it gets processed even more so. So it, it becomes very um, uh, soluble and and you're able to get it into solution really, really easy. And then you're not dealing with like oil in the solution whatsoever. And so uh, there's a company that we do business w- with now that we're, we're looking to do more uh, manufacturing business with that produces uh, low THC microdose seltzers. Uh, and that company is called Wink. W uh, Y N K, and uh, you know, there's a lot of people that I know that don't consume cannabis really much at all, and they try one of those drinks, and it changes their mind about, you know, because it's a low dose, and it gives them some of the good feelings. It tends to activate differently than than the other types of consumption uh, or routes of administration or ways you can consume it. Um, so, I'm a firm believer that drinks actually will be uh, pretty impactful in the future when it comes to getting people to try it and then, um, just making it more normalized.
0: Yeah. I think that's where it's going to, you, you touched on something earlier about the outdoor grown flower. Cause I'm not saying I have experience with this, but the, you know, the higher, the, the more potent material for inexperienced people. Yeah. yeah. It could be way too much. So I'd liken what you described as maybe a glass of wine or a yes. session IPA versus, you know, whiskey or something that you, know, you could you could consume it stand. and yeah
1: you're not doing a keg stand you're <laughs> <laughs> yeah right yeah because we you look at it as a, as a market
0: it's it's about the number of people that consume or how often yeah. how much and that. Honestly, I think in many in many ways it's it's healthier than say alcohol from a medicinal standpoint. It's certainly better than opiates and things that are addictive that give you kind of not all those things that you mentioned and then some, right? Um, Dispelling some of these myths about addictiveness. Now, I have heard of something though that that I'm curious about, and I can't remember what it was, but some sort of maybe disorder. I don't know what brings it up, but something about people getting this condition where maybe they end up vomiting or wanting to take hot or cold showers or something like that. That's really one of the only side effects I think I've ever heard of when it comes to cannabis. Are you familiar with that?
1: Yeah. It's, it's, uh, I can't remember if I'm, and I might not pronounce it correctly. So if I, if I butcher this, you know, uh, for, please forgive me. Uh, it's like cannabis hypermesis hyperactivity it's C H H S or something like that is the acronym. And so what, what they're saying, uh, doctors are saying is, is it's typically, uh, found in people who have, a, an excessive cannabis tolerance and, and usage disorder or people that tend to be, uh, very, very habitual, uh, with their cannabis, uh, intake. And that at some points their receptors are so filled with cannabis that it creates an adverse reaction and, and makes them, you know, ill, not, not in a deathly type of ill way, but like not able to eat or keep anything down until the receptors kind of reset, which could be, you know, a couple of days, um, based on the half-life of, of cannabis. Uh, what I can tell you is there's also some, some beliefs that that condition is caused by, certain products that are applied to cannabis in the growing, Mm. uh, practices. So, uh, for instance, some people claim neem oils and certain types or qualities of neem oils from certain manufacturers sprayed it on cannabis flower at certain times in production could be the cause of some of these, these symptoms. And, you know, knowing what I know about neem oil and knowing what I know about some black market nefarious growers, uh, in the past spraying at all sorts of times in the crop right before they harvest and not doing anything after that. I mean, I wouldn't put it past someone getting sick from ingesting pesticides. Uh, and that to me is, you know, We've learned it. The war on drugs is the war on drugs. It's not stopping anyone from doing drugs, uh, especially cannabis. And so like the fact that we have as stringent of testing as we do placed upon our production, I am grateful for that because as a consumer, I would much rather know that there's an acceptable standard of these things that are tested for and that I'm getting product that's within these acceptable standard ranges whether or not we know truly if those are the acceptable standard ranges yet we're est- we're trying to establish them and and get the data right um in the past before it was legalized people were getting pgrs like you know bonsai and psychocell in their cannabis and they're getting you know flormite and and uh like Nasty, nasty stuff. and so the fact that I would say most of the flour is tested legitimately that's sold at dispensaries and and it's and it's clean based on what we know about those those products and science and ingesting it that's a big win for consumers and that's one of the reasons why I think legalization is important is it's I mean, whether or not you think it's good for, for people to do and whether or not it's worth your time doing or, or using as a, a medicine or for recreation, um, at least you know that the people who are doing it aren't like uh, accidentally hurting themselves because they don't know what's going on with the product.
0: Yeah, that's one of the things I love about the, the legalization of it and is opening up the opportunities to do research yeah and all the re- and, and legitimate research people I know personally that are doing the research, I'm like, oh thank goodness. yeah because I know what they're, I know that what they are doing is sound research and they' now they're getting the funding and they're putting time and effort into building the scientific knowledge on this crop which it, which it needs it yeah. just it, to, to make it better, right We need it like you said yeah. regardless of your opinion, people are going to use it anyway regardless of your opinion and having safe, safe products out there. And, and, and you can get into, you know, it's safety as a, as a, as a, as a flower or something that people consume a drug, if you will, um, yep. which we won't get into, but um, yeah, all very good. I love what you said about, about leadership. I want to wrap that. I want to come back to that leadership. Cause I wrote down, I wrote down two words before we started the, the podcast episode and i wrote down humble and grateful and i and i think that really summarizes what i know of you and as as a leader i think you're humble and i think you are always expressing your
1: your gratitude and gratefulness for your team and others and you are good people sir hey that means a lot to me coming from you um i i respect you a lot and the folks that i respect a lot respect you a lot so uh When it comes to what I get to do every day, uh, with agriculture and horticulture, um, I'm so freaking lucky because, uh, I didn't know it about myself, but I am a, uh, learning addict. I'm a, I'm a learn it all. And I can't stop from being curious and wanting to know more and wanting to understand why. And with agriculture and, uh, plant production and working with people in plant production, there will never ever be a moment where I am not, uh, able to learn something. Um, sometimes it's learn stuff that I definitely shouldn't do to my crop <laughs> because I've seen something that someone else did, or it's something that's, that's like earth shattering and is going to change, you know, the way I, I lead teams or, or grow. Um, I'm like every morning, I wake up just jacked up, knowing that uh, I get to have this kind of job uh, in this kind of industry. And I don't—I haven't been in a lot of other industries. My my dad is uh, a a printer and uh, a marketing guy, and has owned a business for um, the whole time I've been alive. My mother's an attorney, um, so I know a little bit about those industries, but. I don't really think there's many people as passionate about their industry as we are uh, and growers and and here in the green industry, you know, people that serve growers. There's just something about the camaraderie and like,, um, the love that we share uh, over, you know, being a steward to our environment and to these things that, have a mind of their own, but need a little bit of support sometimes to, to reach their full potential. And so, uh, man, like I get tickled all the time, uh, thinking about like, you know, I've only, I've only been out of school now for uh, college for close to 11 years. Uh, and I hope that I get to do this for another 55 years or however however long it is that I can, you know, survive and um do it alongside folks like yourself who I get to enjoy working with and and I'm learning alongside um and, and growing alongside uh you know theoretically and literally or or you know <laughs> however you want to put that.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean it's primal. It's primal we are connected to the earth and the plants regardless of regardless of your religion from dust to dust, man, we from yep. the earth, we come and from the earth, we go back to. So we are intimately connected to that. And I want to, I want to, and we'll start wrapping it up here pretty soon. You hit it. You hit on something, you know, this ties into you as a leader. You mentioned a book club.
1: What oh, are yeah. you reading? Oh man, this is awesome. So, uh, right now, The book club is reading Atomic Habits by James Clear. And so that book actually was one of the catalysts for me uh, over three years ago to focus on my physical health uh, in a different, in in a whole different like tenacity. And um, that book allowed me to change habits and focus on things that helped me, you know. I think I lost close to over a 100 pounds. Um and so Dang. Th- that book for me was like really instrumental in that time but I hadn't read it. Uh,
0: okay, if you're listening, we had some sort of a glitch. I don't know what happened, but we are back and Charlie McKenzie is still with us and you were
1: mentioning Atomic Habits. Yep. So, uh, atomic habits was, uh, something I read three years ago and it really, you know, it was instrumental in making a lot of transformative changes, uh, in my life. Um, mostly physical, uh, health related to start with. And then, uh, you know, unknowingly, I used a lot of the tactics from the book, uh, over the past three years until I picked it up again. And so with the book club, uh, I would say, there's probably like 25 or 30 uh, people out of our 70 person company um, that are part of the book club. And a lot of them are on the cultivation team. And so we're talking about it pretty consistently, you know, after we do stretches and have our morning meeting uh, and, you know, different folks are bringing up different things. And uh, like someone on the team today described some of their habit stacking and how they're, they're taking habits that they really uh, don't know how to get into their routine and putting them in front or behind habits that they do really consistently. And like just those tools and tricks are helping them. And what's fun about it for me is that um, my intention a few months ago was to really establish some some um, productive habits in our cultivation uh, department and leads. Um, and so some of it was creating checklists and different things that they have to do every day uh, at a similar time and then report on it. And what I noticed is that some of the folks now that they read Atomic Habits came to me and have realized like why I was having them do things the way I was doing it, because I wanted them to get into the swing and, and establish that habit. Um, and they're like, wow, like it all makes sense now. We thought you were just freaking crazy. Like, why, why were you doing things like this? But it, it, And it's um, so it's, it's coming full circle. And I think oftentimes folks will be like, oh, well, we can't spend money or or time on on having our team read a book or or talk about a book. What 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 kind of work is that? You know, and I you would not believe the impact it's already had on our business. And also, it's something that we all can relate with. Um, the only other thing that we can all relate with is that we consume cannabis and we grow cannabis together. So now we have a third thing to talk about, and it's also impacting people in their personal life, and they're talking about how it's helping them with their wife or with their kids. and like that to me um, is the ultimate goal of being a leader is if I can uh, be a uh, some bit of a catalyst towards someone becoming a better individual while they're you know under my leadership, and they can go do something bigger and better in their life because of that and they leave a better person. Like that is the, the, the true win or, or sign of success uh, in a leader. And I think by having book clubs like this and you know, our CEO is the one who established it and him and I had a conversation. He was like, Hey, you got some books. I know your, your growth mindset. Um, And so we put together the list and he's been, getting everyone together. And man, I I think that any business that's not doing it is really missing out because there are things that I've learned about the team, different members of our team, just through like hearing about uh, Mm -hmm. what they've learned from the book that made me realize that I'm underutilizing them. Like there are different opportunities that they could be taking on. And it's just, uh, it's enlightening in a lot of different ways. Um, So I encourage it. What about you? What are you reading on right now, Johan? Oh, absolutely. I will get to that in a second. I want to tap into what you said there because it comes
0: back to the, the old adage, "We can't afford to I- invest in our employees. Well, can you afford not to? Right So and, and then did I hear you say you guys do morning I shouldn't say, guys. Did I hear you say you do morning stretches?
1: we do. We, uh, we, we call it stretch out and, uh, then stand up. So we, we do about seven, eight minutes of, of stretches, uh, typically out in the snow. If we can't find a spot in one of the buildings, uh, clear enough, but we're dedicated to it, man. It gets our blood flowing and, and gets us, uh, ready to attack the day. And, you know, in the end probably lowers the incidence of injury. I love it.
0: I love that. That is cool. What am I reading? Well, I tend, to, I tend to read multiple things at a time. And nope. truth be told, I've, I've slipped over the last year. So I am not reading as much as I, I should or want to. And I'm kind of a bibliophile. I tend to buy books and then put them on the shelf going, I ah, will get back to that. So I, you know, I have a whole like 80 some audio books and et cetera. However, so I am, one of the books I'm reading is the one that you sent me the other day. I'm about 70% oh, yeah. through it like the hundred million dollar offers. So I'm reading that. And I and this is a conversation I had with another grower. This year I'm I'm going back to basics as well. So I've I've I'm reading a book now on balancing soil nutrients. Because mm-hmm. how many times do we ask, get asked, "What is this, this, this?" Or do oh my goodness, go back to and and review the foundational knowledge. Oh, you're Dr. Buck PhD. You should know all this stuff. I'm like, well, nope. I will tell you first and foremost, I do not. I I struggle with. I was not the best student. I wasn't a straight A student. It was tough for me. I'm surprised I got into college and and ended up getting a PhD. So I go back and and reread things all the time and. I was going to dedicate this year to also going back to basics. So I'm reading a book on balancing soil nutrients. It's got some good tidbits in it. I mean, it's not terribly scientific, but it's got some good, good info. And then, uh, I'm also looking at my shelf over here and, and reading other things outside of, of leadership and, uh, plant sciences, soil sciences. Mm-hmm. I tend to stick with that personal improvement yep. and, and then the science not to, not, and that doesn't even include the scientific articles. Oh my goodness. You know, I'm yeah, that's, a nother, that's a whole another.
1: that's a whole another beast in and of itself. I mean, you could spend, you spend so much time and effort on that and that's highly valuable too. If you've got the mind for dissecting what, what the results are and, and, uh, how the experiment was set up. Yeah. And I've been trying to, I've been, I've been, I've been toying around with AI. I've
0: been looking at some of these AI systems where you can, you can summarize scholarly journals. How how accurate is this? Because there's, we live in such an information age. Oh my gosh, you can't read all the literature out there. So maybe I can, maybe I can use this tool to summarize this so I can get the gist, but then it's okay. Well, how accurate is that summary?
1: So it's, it's it's only so accurate now, but the more we toll around with it, the better it's going to get. Yeah. Now there's some other books. Like
0: I've read Crucial Conversations. I don't know if you've read that book. Okay. I haven't read
1: that one. I need to check that one out.
0: Start with Why by Simon Sinek is a good one. It's a good one. Yeah. So many good books. So many good books. Um, sales, right? Being in sales, had a PhD in sales. What? But yeah. I, I, I study sales. I want to understand it. It's. It, it makes you it makes you a better uh, better at doing your job yeah if you're, you know, no none of this trickery stuff none of this because sales kind of has a bad reputation in some cases I'm like no sales is a noble profession and we won't get into how I got into sales that's a topic for another discussion but you know, I'm, I'm fascinated with with you know which processes work and best serve the customer
1: Yeah. That's the goal. If you're a salesperson that's focused on on giving the customer the best opportunity to be better at what they do or better at, at um, who they are, uh, then you're a good salesperson. And if you have an ulterior motive, then, you know, that's on you to fix. Yeah. And it'll come through. It'll come through. Yeah. yeah. Yep.
0: Charlie, with the exception of that little technical snafu, which I'm sure I'll be able to fix, this has been awesome.
1: Yeah, I, I've enjoyed the conversation as always. Catching up with you, and I'm looking forward to the the time we get to do this in person and uh, catch up that way.
0: Yeah, cause I, I look forward to that as well, and hopefully, it's with you in Michigan because I have a lot more questions and would love to just kind of sit down and hang out and and just uh, not have a have a time limit.
1: Heck yeah, I'm I'm all about that. I'm um, looking forward to listening to this, and then all, also all the other uh, podcasts that you put out. I'm excited to hear from other guests in your network because it's a it's a pretty deep network with some talented individuals.
0: Thank you. Yeah, it's going to be eclectic. I set this up with with it being eclectic in mind. You know, the ag show is pretty broad, and yep. the goal is interview people who are far reaching across all different facets of agriculture. And I've had some great feedback so far. So I'm like, okay, well, I must, this must be on the right track. And because for example, people will listen to this. They won't know much. They may not know much about cannabis. They'll learn something in a couple of days. I'll be having a conversation with an ag economist. You oh, learn nice. something from that. I plan on enter in every so many episodes want to bring somebody on that focuses on leadership or team building or mindset and because as you mentioned cultivating people i want to not only share information about ag but things that we can take into our daily lives both in the home or personally professionally and then learn something about different areas of agriculture as well so thank you so much for being a part of it charlie and i look forward to seeing you soon
1: Heck yeah. Thanks a bunch. Take care, folks.